they had called for a moment of silence. It was 9-11-2005, just a couple of years after the attack of the Twin Towers in New York City, and I was standing on a beach in a wetsuit with about 2,500 other athletes, and I was digging my toes in the sand preparing to begin the Ironman triathlon. That's what I was preparing to begin to do, the Ironman triathlon. You guys advance it. All right, well, there's this really nice picture that I made of an Ironman triathlon sign. Um, you can just imagine it. But as I stood there in the silence, I was thinking, I'm about to swim, bike, and run 140.6 miles in the next 14 hours. This is really stupid. And then I thought, I am voluntarily entering into suffering, and I paid $1,000 for it. <laughs> and then I remembered, I can quit anytime I want. I could just step off the course, and I could be done. I didn't have to do this race. Um, so really, it wasn't so bad. But in that moment of silence, I did think about all the people around the world who were experiencing involuntary suffering. They were going throughout their days and their lives experiencing pain not brought on by themselves. You ever heard of this guy, Louis Zamperini? There was a book that came out several years ago called Unbroken, and they made it into a movie in about 2014. Anybody seen it? The movie is so-so, the book is awesome, and his uh, autobiography is also great, so I highly recommend those. But Louis Zamperini was a kid in California who grew up into a running, into a runner. He was an Olympic athlete, a distance runner, so he was no stranger to pain. But right as he was about to peak in his career, he got drafted in World War II, and he was on a rescue mission flying over the Pacific Ocean, and his plane got shot down. Somehow he survived, and him and a buddy lived at sea on a raft for 47 days in shark-infested water. By the time they got picked up, they had lost over half of their body weight, and that wasn't very much to begin with. But things were going to go from bad to worse for Louis and his buddy because the people who picked him up was a Japanese warship, and he became a prisoner of war. They actually spent a week nursing him back to health and helping him get some of his body weight back, and then they shipped him off to a prison camp where he spent the next two years being tortured and persecuted and living in absolutely horrible conditions. Well, after the war, he survived somehow, and he made it back to California to be reunited with his family where he got married. But it wasn't long, and the war caught up with him, and he took to drinking and his life started to spiral down. And right about as he was at the bottom, his wife drug him to a Billy Graham crusade where Louis met the Lord. And he experienced the power and the grace and the loving forgiveness of Jesus. And almost immediately, he started ministering to young men in camps in various places. In fact, at one point, he even went back to Japan and he found as many of his captors as he could so that he could forgive them face to face when looking them in the eye. That's Louis Zamperini. And he has a quote that maybe you've seen on a lot of t-shirts or on the 
uh, gymnasium walls that says, a moment of pain is worth a lifetime of glory. And that's really what our scripture passage is in a nutshell today. To the church in Smyrna, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write this, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. For I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. But be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as a victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the, to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So we're going through our series in Revelation. And a couple of weeks ago, Aaron spoke about Ephesus, the first letter to the churches. And today we're talking about Smyrna. It's right there, about 35 miles north of Ephesus. And Smyrna wanted to be north of Ephesus in every way possible. They actually rivaled Ephesus to be the most important city in the Roman Empire. They were a port city, so they lived in a harbor, and they experienced a lot of trade, and so they had a lot of culture, they had great architecture. They were kind of a happening place, and they knew it, and they liked it. They were very interested in being first. This was a part of the Agora, which was their mall, and on either side of this Agora, there was giant temples that had been erected for the emperor worship, which was very big because they were fiercely loyal to the empire. They had a mantra, a saying that they would use that said, first in Asia in size and in beauty. And they even minted it on their coins. They were trying to live into their namesake. They um, they had a fire in 580, which is a while before that. But they had rebuilt and the city had in some ways been resurrected or come back to life again in 290. And that was a part of their history that they were proud of and that they cherished because they were hardworking. They experienced a lot of fortitude. They were a proud people. And it is to this church in this city that Jesus introduces himself in this way. These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and who came back to life again. He's saying, I know where you're from. This would have been language that they understood. They would have got this. Jesus is saying, look, I bookend everything you know about history and time. I'm sovereign over all and I'm sovereign over Smyrna. I get it, guys. He goes, and I know your situation. I know that you're being persecuted. I know your afflictions. I know that they're confiscating your property and that you're living as marginalized. I know that you're getting beaten and thrown in jail. I get it. I know this. I know what they're saying about you. I know the slander that's coming against you. They're saying that you're incestual and anti-family because you call each other brother and sister and you live together and you forsake your earthly father and mother for my namesake. I know what they're saying. I know that they call you cannibalistic. Because you eat and drink my body and blood at your feasts. I know your situation. I know your poverty. I know that you don't have jobs anymore because they've gotten rid of you. I know that you can barely feed your families and that you don't even have money to put food on the table. I know your situation. I see it. I see everything. 
and I tell you what is going to happen. Not only do I, I know your situation, but I see what's going to happen. It's going to get worse. Some of you guys are going to get thrown in prison. Some of you are going to get beaten and tortured. And for some of you, it's going to be worse. But be faithful even unto death. Because if you're faithful, I'm going to give you a reward. I will give you a crown of life. Yeah, I know at those races in your town, they give you that little leaf crown when you win. But I'm going to give you a crown that will last forever. Something that nobody else can give you. And the second death will not hurt you at all. There's an evangelist called E.V. Hill in California, and he said, those who are born once have to die twice, but those who die, are born twice only die once. I want to be someone who only dies once. Man, this thing keeps going. There we go. Can you just it back one, please? Um, so here's the thing. Um, well, we'll just go here. There we go. So Jesus knows their situation. He's the first and the last. He's the all-seeing one. He's the one who holds the stars and who walks among the lampstands. He's the one who created everything. And he's saying, guys, you're going to suffer, and it's going to hurt a lot. For a little while, he says for 10 days, which is an idiom for a little while. So I think it begs the question, can we just call a time out on this? It begs the question, why does any of God's children have to suffer at all? You know, that's, that's the end, right? No more tears, no more pain, no more crying, all that stuff. So why in the world does a God who holds everything in his hand, who has the power over sin and death, allow his children to suffer? Why do we have pain at all? My son is 10 years old, and he's had a cold for three days. The first day, he was a pretty good trooper about it. He's going to go to school and tough it out. But by this morning, he was complaining. And he said, you know what he said at our devotion time? He said, we don't even need to pray for my cold because God's not listening. He said, I still have my cold and he's not healing me. So. And he was really down about it. And I was, so we were trying to talk about that. And I thought, you know, I think we need to reexamine a little bit our theology of suffering in some ways. So I attempted to draw up this chart. I hope it's, it's helpful and not confusing. But over here, you see there's suffering. That's an increase in suffering. And we know naturally that a life of sin leads to suffering because we have natural consequences. If you go to Pizza Ranch and eat too much pizza, you will have a problem. You will suffer. But really, if you engage in sexual immorality, you're going to end up with a broken heart or a broken home. If you uh, drink excessively, you might end up in jail or in a drunk accident. You know, if you lie, cheat, steal, if you give in to greed, there are natural consequences that lead to suffering. And I think we all get that and know that, right? Bad choices lead to bad outcomes. And then there's natural pain. You know, the Bible says that rain falls on the rich and the poor alike, on the godly and the ungodly. Natural disasters, the common cold, things like heartbreak, these things happen to everybody. They're just part of being in a fallen world, in a broken life. But here's what's interesting. In our, in our path of sanctification and discipleship, as we move closer to Jesus, something interesting happens. We stop making bad choices according to the flesh, and we start to live in the Spirit. And we start to live according to the Word of God, and our suffering actually goes down. So as we move closer our suffering actually goes down. And right about here, we feel pretty good. 
we start making good choices and we experience peace and we experience freedom from suffering and we no longer have to deal with all of that crap but then there's a transition point again according to this passage that as we start to move closer to Christ we experience retaliation from the enemy there's a clash of kingdoms a power of light and dark that when they come together they break see this is where Satan wants us right here but I actually think he's okay with us being right here as long as we don't get any closer but as we move forward that's when we start to get in trouble Because when we're walking close to Jesus, that's where the light of his kingdom breaks in and among our lives. That's when we start seeing the fruit of his promises come come true. Listen to what he says about it himself. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Wait a minute. I can't even afford to put food on the table. My kids are starving. I don't have a job. We're living as vagabonds, and you're saying I'm rich? And then he says, I know the slander of those who say they're Jews or not. They're a synagogue of Satan. What, like is there a big red monster with devil horns and a pitchfork in the synagogue now that they're bowing down to? What's going on? I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. I thought they were Roman centurions and temple guards that were carrying us to these places. What do you mean the devil? Jesus is saying, open your eyes. There is more here than meets the eye. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. There is something so much bigger going on that you can't see in the natural. Your present circumstances and your current situations do not dictate the truth and reality over who you are and what's going on in God's kingdom. He says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced pain and suffering. I'm sure everyone has to some degree. But it sucks. And Jesus is saying, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Well, don't be afraid of suffering? What could be worse than suffering? I think a lot of times for us, suffering is the enemy. But what if it's not the greatest enemy? What if suffering and security, our comfort and security, are not the greatest thing about our lives? What if the thing we need to be fearing is distance from Jesus? He says, be faithful. Be faithful even to the point of death. And if you are, I'll give you life as a victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus is with his disciples on the last day. And here's what he says. Hey, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Those who are in Christ will experience pain and suffering, sometimes very intensely. But we also get to experience the resurrection power of his, over sin and death. We get to experience the life abundant and the life of freedom in Christ. Remember Paul? He said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and to share with him in the fellowship of his suffering. Later he writes, I've been crucified, crucified with Christ. That it's no longer I who even live, but now it's Christ who lives in me. This life that I live in the body, I just live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As Aaron Bart likes to write, there can be no resurrection without a crucifixion. 
had a good friend and mentor, Jim, in Sioux Falls. And he lost his wife early in life. They had been married just over 20 years. And um, the period, he was close to Jesus, Jim was. So was his wife. But in the period of time after he lost her, there was about six months where he was just on fire. I can't really describe it any other way other than it was somewhat otherworldly. We would go to restaurants and the waitress would end up bawling as he would minister the love of Jesus to her. We'd be walking down the street and he would share Christ with people and they'd come to him salvation. I mean, I, was just, I would walk around with him and he, he almost had like this glow about him. It was crazy. I can't really explain it other than it was wild. But I remember very specifically at this one restaurant, we were sitting there and this waitress came up and she said, I don't know what you have, but I want it. And he looked at her and he goes, I'm not sure you do. Because in order to have what I've got, you have to go through what I went through to get it. And I'm not sure anybody wants that. There can be no resurrection without a crucifixion. Where are you today? Are you experiencing suffering? Are you experiencing suffering because of bad choices? Maybe just natural pain? Are you living in a place of, of comfort and security? Or are you experiencing some retaliation from the enemy? It's not uncommon. I've been here seven years now. And I often, the story is the same. I have students come into my office and they'll go something like this. John, I want to follow Christ. I want to do more. I want to leave my life of partying. But I just don't know how. And I walk with them and we pray and then they end up doing it. They, they end up stopping their partying. They end up stopping that lifestyle, chasing after girls, boys, whatever it is. And all of a sudden I watch them. And they start to experience a profound sense of freedom because they're not experiencing that anymore. And so they feel free and they're excited and they bounce around because all of a sudden they're free from this pain and suffering that they were experiencing before. But then something else happens. After a while, that, some of that newness kind of wears off and they realize that on Friday nights, they're kind of lonely because their whole friend group is out doing something that they said they weren't going to do anymore. They don't really know what to do. And they come back and they're like, I thought that I was going to, I don't know, I thought God was going to help me in this. Like, if I chose to follow him and do things his way, I thought that it would get easier, get better, and I feel lonely and I feel like he's distant and I don't know what to do right now. Or a student comes in and they, uh, they want to stop cheating on their tests and papers. And so they study kind of hard and we're going to do this God's way now. And they do it themselves and they get a C minus. I thought God was going to help me if I did it his way. I didn't think it was going to be harder. I've had students in my office who decide they want to start exploring what the Holy Spirit can do in their life. They want to open themselves up to, you know, his movement and his work and his activity. And all of a sudden they'll come back and they're saying, I'm experiencing intense nightmares and oppression of darkness. It's real. Where are you today? Louis Zamperini in his book, he was asked, Louis, how did you do it? How did you get through all of those dark days of pain and suffering? And very humbly, he just said, all my life, I, I'd always finished the race. 
Does that sound like somebody else? And Paul writes to Timothy. He says, I've fought the good fight at the end of his life. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness that the righteous judge will award to me on that day and to all who long for his appearing. Let's pray. God, we look to you, our only help and salvation. And God, we know that our present circumstances are not worth comparing to the future glory that awaits those of us us who are in you, Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you give us courage to believe you for bigger things, eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, what your Spirit is saying and what your kingdom is doing in our midst. Lord, help us not to settle in a place of comfort and security, but to continue to pursue a heart that longs to know you more and to see things for what they really are. Lord, open our eyes to see more of your beauty, more of you calling us to be with you, calling us to be faithful. Hang in there. Be with me. It's going to be worth it. Lord, we love you this morning. Receive our worship and give us your strength and power. In Jesus' name, amen.